Amen. Good morning, Solid Rock Church. Well, a lot of you have been asking, Jason, when are you going to get up there and when are you going to preach? Well, today is that day and I hope I do not disappoint. But for those of you that are maybe joining us for the first time, I have some good news. See, the good preaching will resume next week when our pastor returns from his retreat in South Texas. I'm kidding. But uh, it's always a privilege and honor to preach God's word, and I thank you for that opportunity this morning. Now, today is going to be a standalone sermon. Now, standalone, what that means is it's not part of a series, but I believe it's an excellent way to set up next week. This will be a segue into what we celebrate next weekend. Does anybody know what that is? Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate Jesus' victory over Satan, sin, and death. He completes the first part of his rescue mission. Now, the theme for today will be rescue mission. We should all be welcoming to hear a story about a rescue mission. I mean, we're Americans. We take our freedoms quite seriously. For those of you that don't know, I'm also a soldier in the Army, and we take it very seriously. Actually, in our soldier's creed, there's a line that says, I will never leave a fallen comrade. I mean, we swear an oath to protect the freedoms that we enjoy every day, and we're willing to sacrifice our lives to ensure that freedom. Yet, I remember reading about a time in our history where this freedom was stripped away from many of our nation's heroes. It was during World War II, and it was actually the largest single surrender that we had in our nation's history, which led to the largest rescue of our nation's history. And what I'm referring to is the raid of Cabanatuan, or the Great Raid. You've probably read about it in high school or saw the movie, The Great Raid. What it was is in 1945, there was a rescue of over 500 POWs from a prison camp right outside Cabanatuan City. Now, Cabanatuan City is in the Philippines. So who here is going on the Philippines trip this summer? Anybody? All right, a few of you. Well, this city is about 1,400 kilometers northwest of your location. So here's a little history that you can bring back with you. This was right after the Battle of Bataan. Okay, this was a, a, a famous battle where we had American troops and Filipino soldiers fighting against the Japanese that were looking to invade the Philippines. Okay, and it was about a three-month standoff between the two. It was, it, was, it was a vicious, crucial standoff. But unfortunately, General MacArthur had to make a decision, and the greater threat was in Germany. Hitler's army, so he had to send reinforcements to that location, and reinforcement and supplies did not come to the soldiers fighting at the Battle of Bataan, and after a three-month valiant effort, they were forced uh, to surrender. This led to the infamous Bataan Death March. Now, what this was, was after the surrender of tens and thousands of troops, they were forced on this death march 60 miles north to Camp O'Donnell, where they would later be dispersed to other prison camps. But just to talk about the, uh, the death march itself, it's something that we would like to erase from our history books, but it did happen. See, to surrender to the Japanese at this time, the Japanese viewed surrender as the ultimate act of cowardice, so they treated those soldiers less than human. Now, 60 miles is a tough hike for any athlete, for, for anybody who's in shape, but remember, these soldiers had three months of battle. Many of them were starving, suffering from malaria and other 
ailments, and they're being forced to march 60 miles north. If you fell out of that march, you were immediately beheaded or, or, or bayoneted. If you were to help a fellow soldier, you were immediately executed. This kind of gives a depiction of the depravity of man. So they go to uh, Camp O'Donnell, later dispersed to Cabanatuan City, but in 1945, a plan was developed. Remember, the Battle of Bataan happened in 1942, so three years later, three years after the fact, a plan was developed to rescue these prisoners of war. So Alamo scouts, Filipino troops, and American rangers traveled 30 miles behind enemy lines to, on a rescue effort to free these prisoners, but they noticed the problem. Once they traveled those 30 miles and they got within 800 yards of this prison camp, they noticed there was about 800 yards of dried rice paddy fields with no cover whatsoever. So they had to somehow get close enough to the camp undetected. But the prison camp had a fence around it with these towers that had these enemy sentries, watchmen, that would be in these towers looking for any oncoming threats. So what they did is they went ahead and they low crawled midday, trying to get into position. So they slowly and methodically low crawled. And one of the rangers actually gives a testimony today. When I heard his testimony, he said one of the enemy sentries actually raised his rifle and he pointed it down at their location. So apparently he spotted some movement and they all just remained still. They knew if they were spotted, the mission was over. It was a, it was a complete failure. So what they did is they radioed for air support. Not the kind of air support that drops bombs, but one to create a diversion. So they called in for a P-61 Black Widow aircraft, typically used for nighttime in, um, interception. So what this aircraft did is it flew over the enemy camp, back and forth, back and forth, and it worked. See, the enemy sentries were looking up, the prison guards were looking up, and even some of the prisoners saying, you know, hey, what, what's going on here? This allowed the rangers to get within 25 to 30 yards of the fence line in a ditch in preparation for a nighttime raid. So later that evening, around 7.30-ish, bang, the first shot goes off, taking out the enemy sentry. The rangers surround the prison camp, infiltrate the front gate. One of the rangers actually takes out one of his sidearms, blows off the lock. They get into the prison camp, and each ranger group has a particular mission within the mission. Now, we're actually going to follow the rangers that went to the prisoners' barracks, their quarters, their hut, right? So they, they bust in through the, through the front door, and they say, hey, we're, we're Americans, we're rangers, we're here to rescue you. Come on, let's go, follow me. And you would think after three years of the conditions that I just mentioned that the prisoners would have just jumped up for joy, say, finally, salvation is here. We're rescued, right? But many of them didn't do it. Many of them actually fought against the rangers. They had this prison camp mindset that set in for the last three years that they were blinded to the fact that the rescuer was standing right in front of them. The person delivering them from their captivity was right in front of them saying, hey, follow me. So finally, the rangers just kind of had to, uh, for some of them, just kind of pick them up, hoist them up over their shoulder. And in a 30-minute coordinated nighttime raid, 500 POWs were rescued. But unfortunately, with 
Like a lot of victory, there's casualties of war. Two American lives were sacrificed in that rescued effort. Two American lives, they sacrificed their very lives so their comrades can be free. It took the price of blood to set the, com the captives free. I have a short video clip that actually shows some of the events of that day, real time. So if we can show that video clip and some of the heroes that participated in that rescue effort. successful rescue mission in U.S. history. But when I think of Resurrection Sunday, I think of the most successful rescue mission in human history. Here we have Jesus coming into human history to uh, take on our punishment, our judgment upon himself, the ultimate rescuer. Even though we defy him every day, we've been defying him since Genesis 3, right? Don't eat from this tree. We did it anyway. God gives us exactly what our actions ask for. We can do it better, right? So he said, go ahead. This created, the kingdom splits and then creates this gulf between mankind and God the Father. We call this gulf sin. This act of rebellion is a theme throughout our Old Testament. I can look at this and I see it as the kind of a baton death march through our human history. Now, God could have just immediately wiped us out, right? Said, that's it, I'm done with mankind. But he didn't. He had a better plan, a redemptive plan. And he offered this sense of hope, this deliverer, this rescuer, this savior, this Messiah, meaning anointed one king. And it's this idea of a Messiah that leads us into our passage of study. So please, grab a copy of God's word. And we're going to be going over Luke 4, 16 through 21, but I believe we'll have time to get to 30. Again, that's Luke 4, 16 through 30. Now, I encourage you to please have a copy of God's Word in front of you. Now, I know for your convenience that it will be on the screen, but at least for good practice, it's always good to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. Now, before I just dive right in, when we open up the Bible, we just don't start immediately reading. We have to figure out where we're at in the story, right? So this is after Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. 
comes up, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, the Holy Spirit drives him out into the wilderness for a time of testing for 40 days. Reminiscent of the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness following the exodus out of Egypt. Jesus doesn't fail, though. He overcomes. He's victorious. He's continuously being tempted. And I know that most people, a lot of people, excuse me, think that, that he was only tempted three times. No, it was continuous. And yet he prevailed. Satan is forced to flee. And he returns in the power of the Spirit. Is what we reread in verse 14. He returns in the power of the Spirit. Now, if you see me stomp my foot, that's what we do in the military. We want to emphasize something, kind of stomp our foot, laying key point here. This is a test question. Pay attention. Okay, let's read verses 16 through 21. And he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Pay attention. As was his custom. You see, even Jesus regularly attended church. So if you want to follow Jesus, follow his example. You'll hear me mention this quite often in this sermon. To believe in Christ is to follow Christ. And he stood up to read. See, in a, a Jewish service, when they read scripture, they would stand to read and actually sit down as they unpacked it. Matter of fact, I'm going to try to mimic that for you as best I can in this sermon. I do have a little ADD, so I'll probably walk around a little bit, but I'm going to try to stand still as best I can. So he stood to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Now, before I look at what was written, please understand that the, the Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, he's going to be reading from Isaiah 61, was written 700 years earlier which refers to the Messiah, the coming king, the savior, the promised deliverer. The audience knew that. Now, when I say Messiah, I'm referring to uh, Christ, Christos. That's where we get the word Christ. See, for a long time, I thought Christ was Jesus' last name. No, Jesus, uh, Messiah is Hebrew. Christos, Christ, is the Greek. So Messiah into Greek is Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus the Christ. So let's see what Jesus reads and why he is saying these things. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and, recovery, and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to his attendant, sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Did you catch it? What a proclamation of Jesus' identity, mission, and ministry. Now, if you missed it, don't worry, because we're going to unpack it verse by verse, starting 
In verse 18, let's go back and take a look at this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember in verse 14 when he returned, I stopped my foot a little bit, returned in the power of the Spirit because he has anointed me. This signifies a special service from God the Father to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, spiritually speaking, this could be mean poor in spirit, but Jesus certainly had a ministry to the poor, the actual poor. He spent a great deal of time with them. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, or the NIV translates it this way. It says, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery sight of the blind. Again, referring to this spiritual blindness, but Jesus certainly physically healed the blindness of the people in his day. And finally, to set the oppressed free. Now, does this language ring rescue to you? Set the captives free, set the oppressed free. Sounds like a, a great deal like a rescue mission to me. In verse 19, now this is something you can't miss. In verse 19, it says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the year of the Lord's favor, without going into too much detail, was a holy year that the Jews celebrated in which they forgave debts and they set free any slaves that they had. It was kind of a time to refresh, okay, a new start. Why does Jesus say that here? Well, I'll tell you, uh, a time where debts are forgiven, I'm thankful that Jesus paid my debts. Are you thankful that Jesus paid your debts? Okay? That we are, net, we are set free from the bondage of sin? I mean, are we, are we not sinners? Well, thankfully, the Bible doesn't leave us guessing on this because Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's the, 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 the wonderful but. But God proves his love for us that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin of death is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. You see, we are deserving of death, but Jesus takes our punishment. He rescues us. I'm a sinner, but God applies Jesus' righteousness on those that believe in him. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Many of you may recognize that as the Romans road. I still use that today when I evangelize. It's the story of the gospel message. Now, I want you to take a look at something for those, for those scholars out there. Jesus doesn't complete. When he's reading from Isaiah... He does not read the entire verse of 19. If you overlay Isaiah 61 on this, you will notice that there's some subtle variances, and one in particular was that he left out in the day of vengeance. See, that's a time in our history, we're in the middle of history right now, and that day of vengeance has not yet come. But Jesus had a message for that time. And he will come back. That's why it's always important. It's always important to remember that the best time to get right with the Lord, the best time to get right with Jesus is always and will always be right now.
Verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. They knew what this passage was referring to. They knew it. So they couldn't wait to what he was going to say next. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Follow me. But just like the prisoners of Cabanatuan, they had this prisoner camp mindset. I mean, it's been 700 years since Isaiah was written. And they just couldn't see that the deliverer was standing right in front of them. So here's the challenge. For those of you that have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'm here to tell you that today the gospel has been presented in your hearing. My desire is that you will come to see that the rescuer is here, recognize him for who he is, and accept the Lord as Lord and Savior. Now, if you've already accepted Christ, then here's my challenge for you. See, celebrating outside the prison camp is not the mission. The mission. Neutrality is not an option. Waiting to retirement and cashing out our 401ks is not the mission. I encourage you to get engaged. If you've forgotten the mission, let me help you. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Behold, I am with you to the end of this age. There may be some of you in here that are just struggling right now. For whatever reason, you've crawled right back into that prison camp and you found your old bed and you found the comfort of your own shackles. Satan has defeated you into thinking that you are still a prisoner. And you reach for your old shackles and you, and you put it on your wrist. You put one on your wrist, we'll call that pride. You reach for another shackle and you put that on the other wrist and we'll call that lust. Another one you put on your ankle, we'll say that's sinning in your anger. Another one, well, you just fill in the blank. Whatever sin that you may be dealing with, you place on yourself, but you must remember, you've got to remember those shackles are unlocked. My encouragement to you is to let the blinders be lifted. Shake those shackles free. They're unlocked. Let them fall to the ground. And before you walk out of there, get on board with the mission. Look to a real prisoner sitting next to you whose chains, whose shackles are actually locked and offer them the key. Offer them the key of salvation. Offer them the truth of Jesus Christ. And you can walk out together or take part in the mission. Now, I was initially thinking at stopping at verse 21. But we got plenty of time, so we're going we're gonna to keep going. Solid Rock, if you want to keep going, say, let's do this. Let's do this. 
All right, all right. Verse 22, I'm going to read the whole thing, uh, 230, through 30. It says, And all spoke well of him, and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do it here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the day in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Watch this. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up, drove him out to, to the town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they can throw him down a cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Wow. They just tried to kill Jesus. Why? For telling them the truth? Let's take a look at this. And I mean, verse 22, it looks like things are going pretty good. And I'm going to go ahead and try to summarize uh, this passage uh, before we close. But it seems like all were speaking well of him. Everything was good to go. But then they started to think to themselves, wait a minute. Isn't, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the kid that grew up right down the street? He tells them, no doubt, you're going to say, physician, heal yourself. Well, what that means is, they're like, well, we'll, we'll prove it. Show us, show us some stuff. Show us some of that fancy stuff we heard you doing in Capernaum. Jesus says, ah, oh, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. See, the Jews had a history of rejecting the prophets through, history of, uh, through, through Jewish history. So Jesus brings up two examples. He brings up Elijah and Elisha, his successor, as two prophets that actually bypassed the Jews and brought grace or healing to the Gentiles. What Jesus is saying is that the gospel truth will now be open to the Gentiles, us, other nations. Right? But when you look at their reaction, see, they believed in the exclusivity of salvation, grace and salvation coming to the Gentiles? Absolutely not. They were so irate about this that they tried to kill him, literally push him off a cliff. So I, I will close with this point. You can try to push away truth. The gospel message can come your way and you could try to push it away. We can even try to kill it. But just like Jesus, the truth will remain. Jesus just walked right in the middle of that crowd. And I think to myself, what kind of man was Jesus to have a crowd of people wanting to kill him and he just walks right in the middle of it? I mean, if you want to know what manhood looks like, look no further. Look at Jesus Christ. 
I'll be preaching on that in June. To believe in Jesus is to follow Jesus. Let's not forget our mission. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to preach your word. And dear Lord, I pray that today was enlightening to everyone here, wherever walk that they're on. If they're never heard of you or accepted you as Lord and Savior, I pray, dear Lord Jesus, that you give them the courage to make that profession of faith today. That they get with one of our pastor prayer partners in the back and say, hey, I've want to receive the Lord Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Father, I pray for those of us that are in here that have received your message but become complacent. I pray, dear Lord, that this be an encouragement to let us get on board, get on mission, and follow you. But Father, I pray I faithfully presented these words, and more importantly, I pray that these words be received and applied in our daily lives. Lord, hear my prayer. Amen.